I enjoy being here. I like teaching the Word of God. You know, I'm, I'm 70 now. Did you know that? I'm 70 now, and people are always telling me, when are you going to retire? I says, I don't see that. What chapter and verse is that? <laughs> the Lord has never said anything about retiring, right? So I might do little things a little bit less, but, but I, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep teaching. I got so many books in the queue, I got to finish those books. So many things that's going on. So they're concerned about my health and all that kind of stuff because you know, a lot of you know I had uh, COVID in December and I, I had I struggled with it quite a bit. But I'm back. I'm very back. And I love seeing everybody's smiling faces. So you may be seated. Thank you. We've started doing uh, once a month or once every two months healing services at AMC. We've started doing that now. And, and that's been a marvelous event in our lives of the congregation. And, uh, you know, prayer is so important to us as it is to you. You know, it's the prayer is the weapon of the soul. Amen. You've got to pray. You know, well, I don't, I don't see any prayers answered. Don't worry about where you see it happen. Just pray. That's what's important is pray because you don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. John Wesley used to say, God will do nothing except by prayer. And that's an important thing to me to know. That if you want God to do something, pray. You want God to bring rain, pray. All these things. We have been really praying for the rain lately. <laughs> and not only every time we pray for rain, we say, Lord, bring us the spiritual rain too. We, we want it all together. Turn to your scriptures, chapter 15. Yeah. Luke. Do you need to know what book? <laughs> Luke 15. <laughs> <laughs> oh, forgive me, Lord. Okay. Luke 15. We're going to begin in verse 11. Luke chapter 15 is talked about, you know, a man who has a hundred sheep and he loses one. He goes way out of his way to find that one. It also talks about a woman who has ten silver coins. She loses one. And she turns her house upside down so she finds that one coin. The meaning is God will do anything to bring the lost back to him. Amen. Once somebody is called upon the name of the Lord and you are his, you're going to play havoc if you try to run from him. You know that? He's the hound of heaven. And he'll be nipping at your heels, coming at you in every kind of direction. You can't run from him. You try him a tree, and he'll climb a tree. You go in the deepest cave, and he's going to find you in the deepest cave. Just ask Elijah. You know, he couldn't get away from Elijah. Elijah couldn't get away from God either. And that's the way God is. Once you proclaim his name and you are his, then you... You are really his. 
He's going to watch after you when he starts seeing you backslide. You know, the Lord says he chases those he loves. Yeah, a little chast chastisement may be coming. But he does that because he loves you. You know. Say, wow, Lord, that hurts. He said, then stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> Pretty simple, isn't it? Let's turn to verse 11 in chapter 15, Luke. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Do you know in Deuteronomy 21, verse 17, it says the firstborn is to receive double portion. The firstborn inheritance is amazing, actually. And so they received double portion, the firstborn. Now that I said that, let me say this. Did you know that you are firstborn? As a believer, you are firstborn. Hebrews 12.23 says we are of the general assembly of the firstborn. You are firstborn. That's the same word that's also translated in the Bible as first fruits. You are first fruits. Bikarim in Hebrew. Bikarim. You are first fruits. And if there's a first, that means there has to be something larger after that. A first fruits is just a small of a larger general harvest. But because you are first fruits, your inheritance would be much bigger than those that come later. And so you sit in a seat of, of honor. You sit in a huge seat of honor because eyes have not seen nor ears have heard of things that God has got for those who love him. That's coming to you. You know, quite often when I'm teaching, I talk about the rewards that's coming to the believers. I don't know why a lot of people don't teach now. Well, a lot of people skip over that. But he's got tremendous things for you. Hallelujah. Garments of light that shine brighter than the sun. You know, the, the ability to eat from the tree of life and the hidden manna. And receive thrones set with Yeshua at his throne. And you are given the right to rule the nations with a rod of iron the same as Yeshua. All these things, amazing things that God has for those who love him. Amen. The God of all creation, and yes, Yeshua is the creator also, the God of all creation will want to rejoice in his people and give them everything that he could possibly give them to the boggles the imagination and the mind. I tell people, think of the most wonderful thing you've ever been involved in and multiply that by a million times. I mean, if the Lord can create beauty in nature, and you sit on the shores of a lake and watching the birds and all that. Oh, man, this is life. You ain't seen nothing yet. Right? It's coming. All right, so understand that. that If you are today a born-again believer, you are first fruits of the Lord or firstborn of the Lord. And the firstborn receives double inheritance. That's amazing. Truly amazing. Okay, so we'll move on here. Let's go to verse 13. And not many days after the younger the son, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with righteous living. Wow. So the young man received his portion of his father's inheritance. He said, Father, give me, give me, give me. I wanna, I wanna leave. 
And the father probably said, well, you really shouldn't do that. Well, I don't care. I want to go out and see the world. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do that without, you know, you, your ball and chain upon me. Did you know, you know, scriptures say in the last days the nations will gather together against Israel. And they also say, let's remove their cords from us. Let's remove their bounds from us. Their chains from us. What do you think they're talking about? They're talking about the restrictions of God's word. That's what it's talking about. We see that today. We see more and more people trying to throw off the cords of the Lord that's upon us. Not understanding that those cords are bringing you into a right relationship with the Father of all creation. But the world wants to cast those cords off and throw them aside. And in the last days, the nations will actually come against Israel because they can't reach God. So they're going to come after Israel instead to cast the cords away from them. So it says, you cannot kill, you cannot murder. We don't want to hear about those rules. You cannot steal. We don't want to hear about those rules. You can't do these things. They want to cast the cords away. And that's what the enemy wants us to do, to cast the cords away. Because once you cast the cords away, it makes it much easier for the enemy to enter into your mind and your conscience and through your open doors of your eyes, your mouth, and your ears and affect your life. Do not throw away the cords of the Lord. Hang on to the cords of the Lord because it will save your life. That's very important that we do these kind of things. And so, but this is what the enemy wants us to do. And the younger son is in the process of doing this. So it says in verse 13, the young son gathered together and took his journey into a far country. It doesn't tell you where this country was or how far, but all we know is it was far. The, 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 the thing here that we have to understand was away from the father. He moved away from the father, where the father had no influence over him whatsoever. And this is what we need to understand here. And there wasted his substance with righteous living. It was fun while it lasted, but eventually you have to pay the piper. In verse 14, he spent all. He spent everything he had. And just like things happened to us, an inopportune timing occurred. A famine came upon the land. Happens every time, folks. Mark my word on it. At the worst time, things happen to you. And if you don't hold the faith and trust in the Lord to get you out of it, you're just going to fall deeper and deeper into a pit. Example is in the book of, uh, of, of uh, Jonah. You ever read the book of Jonah? Other than children's books, you know, about the well and all that kind of stuff. Read Jonah. It's important to read the book of Jonah. It says in Jonah, you know, that God called Jonah to go preach at Nineveh. Do you know where Nineveh is? It's the Assyrian capital. The Assyrians just took the northern tribes into captivity. They were greatly hated by Judah and Benjamin that were still in Israel at that time. They did not like the Assyrians. The Assyrians were very vicious and mean people. And so the Lord told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them repentance. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. 
Well, what, are you kidding me, Lord? We hate them people. The Lord said, no, you're going to Nineveh. No, I'm not. Oh, you never tell God, no, you're not. So then you read in the scriptures that, and understand the, the, the words here. He says, he went down to Joppa. That's a city on the ocean, the Mediterranean. I've been there many times. And then he went down to the bottom of the ship. Then they threw Jonah overboard after they found out that he was the cause and reason of a great storm that came up. And a fish swallowed him and he went down to the bottom of the ocean. So look at that. Down, down, down. That's what happens to us when we run from God. Down, down, down. Of course, Jonah, when he was in the bottom of the mountains, as it says, and let's talk about the bottom down here, that he came to his senses and prayed to God and repented for running. He says, I will do that which I vowed. You know, he vowed to serve God, but he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Sometimes we vow, we'll do anything for you, Lord, but not that. Do you not know that's what God is going to give you when you say that? I remember Pastor Anita one time saying, I'll live anywhere but not there. Guess where we ended up? At that place where she said, not there. For 18 years we lived there. But it was a blessing, wasn't it? It was a tremendous blessing. So don't ever challenge God and tell him what you're not going to do. Because <laughs> he takes it as a challenge. And he wins those challenges, you know. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. But anyway, after Lord saved Jonah's life, and the fish spit him up on the shoreline, how convenient was that? But you got to understand, he did not, he died in that fish. He died in the fish. He wasn't in some big well that had a lot of oxygen or whatever. For three days he was in that fish. He died in that fish. But what God did was resurrect him. Rose him up and the well spit him out on the shore. And Jonah lived. And after he said, I will pay that which I vowed, I'll go to Nineveh. So Jonah came to his senses that he can't run from God because it just goes down, down, down. He said, I will do whatever it takes now, I'm going to go to Nineveh. So Jonah went to Nineveh. And he said, the city was so big, it was several days' journey just across the city. That's how big the city was in the Assyrian Empire. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So Jonah said, well, okay, I'm sure they'll kill me, but I'll start preaching. He started preaching to Nineveh. What did Nineveh do? Did they kill Jonah? They repented. Because God had prepared the hearts of Nineveh ahead of time. That's why you don't tell God no. He goes before you. Amen. What looks like an impossible task, he will clear a way. He will clear a way for you. So Jonah preached at Nineveh, and the people repented and cried and honored God and all these kind of things. And You know what Jonah did? He was mad. He wanted to see him destroyed. That's how much bitterness he had in his heart for the Assyrians. 
He wanted to see destroyed because he probably had friends and family that were hauled away in captivity. But God had mercy on the Assyrians. At least for a short period of time, the Assyrians found the Lord. So never think that somebody is not capable of being saved. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they act, how they talk. They are capable of salvation and God changing their lives almost immediately. When the Spirit of God comes into you, you now are a different person. The old man is gone. What I mean by the old man, your old nature. Paul calls it the old man, which is a good apt term for it. It's called the old man. And he shall not live again unless you resurrect him. Don't allow the old man to be resurrected in your life and in your heart. Once he's dead, keep him there. Kick dirt on him. Keep him down there. Don't let the old man out. He may be trying to come out. Now, I'm an old man, so I appreciate the story. <laughs> but keep him down. Because he's not down for the count. He'd be more than happy to jump out of there if you let him. Keep him down. So now we're back to the prodigal son. <clears throat> like we said, and when he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want, in verse 14. You know, a lot of times in, in lands like Israel, you can live off the land. The fruit trees and trees that grow and the grain that grows wild and everything else. And you can live off the land. But when a famine comes in, all that which would have grown naturally ceased to be. So just like we said, an inopportune time here that he suddenly was starving to death. God does stuff like that to us. So verse 15. So he joined with the citizen of that country, which more than likely was a Gentile country, and was sent to feed swine or pigs. Now that's the worst thing an Israelite could do. Because the scriptures tell us that they aren't do, have anything to do with uh, pigs or swine. Leviticus 11 verse 7 says, they're unclean, don't touch or eat a carcass. So they are not allowed to touch pork, pig, whatever, or eat it. And so this is like the worst job anybody could have, to go down there and feed the pigs. Feed the pig! You know, that's the worst thing an Israelite could face. So not only now is he starving, he's feeding pigs. And he's getting his clothes dirty. He's probably ragtagged by now. And if you know what it's like to feed pigs in a pig pen, you get their feces all over you. There's a lot of water in there, a lot of muck and mud, and you get that all over you. You stink to high heaven. I'm sure you didn't have much of an opportunity to take a bath anywhere. So you're going to be rejected by everybody. Nobody wants to be around you because you stink. You really stink. So this guy's about to get about as low as low can get. Down, down, down like Jonah. Down, down, down he goes. Very degrading. Verse 16. And he would have fain 
filled his belly with husk that the swine did eat that no man gave unto him. So what the fain means, he was coveting, lusting after, to fill his belly with the husk that are fed the swine. But you've got to understand what husk is. It's not like you're thinking husk of, on corn or something. Husk is a sweet fruit shaped like a horn. It looks like a locust. They say it's the same food that John the Baptist ate. You know when he said he ate locusts and honey? This is probably what the locust was he ate. It comes from a carob tree. So he ate this carob tree, which was known as the food for only poor people at that time. Very poor people. So he that's what they're feeding the pigs. So he's probably mucking around in the muck with the pigs, trying to grab him some of this food. Fighting with the pigs over it, even. Man, that's another low, low, down, 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 taking place. Wow. Can you imagine that? Fighting with the pigs over that food? Yeah. yeah. Then verse 17. And when he came to himself, I'm going to stop right there. When he came to himself, we need to come to ourselves. We need to understand who we are in the Lord. If you are the firstborn of the Lord, the first fruits of the Lord, come to your senses and know who you are. Not only in power, but in position too. Know who you are. For you are kings and priests. And if you're kings and priests, why don't we act like it? We've got to act like it, kings and priests. And what do priests do? They minister. They minister to God. They minister to people. What do kings do? They make rules. And they execute judgment. That's what kings do. You're a king and priest. You know, one day you're going to be sitting around thrones with Yeshua, and you're going to be doing those things. And even judging the angels. The angels that did wrong are going to, going to come before you. And you're going to pronounce sentence against them. You've got great responsibilities coming. You're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. <laughs> you've got work to do. Even in the kingdom of God, you've got work to do. So this is going to come. And these kind of things are going to come. You can't run from God. But you know if you take a step toward him, just a little bitty baby step toward him, he'll come a million miles to meet you. Amen. He couldn't get nobody to help him, this prodigal son. Nobody wanted to help. Wow. So instead, he's wrestling with pigs. What a sad state of affairs when it's happened. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let us arise and go to our Father. This is what he said in verse 18. I will arise and go to my Father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Does this sound like the heart of this man repented? Yes, it did. This is before he ever came back to his father. He said, I'm going to do this. 
And I'm going to tell my father, when I get there, when I see my father, I'm going to tell him I repent, repent against what I did to you and what I did against God. And I'm also going to tell him in verse 19, I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Because he knew that his father's house, the hired servants were eating well. So he wants to go to his father's house and just be a servant. He came to himself. He came to a greater understanding of who he is and what he should be. So he's going to go to his father's house. So he probably rehearsed, I don't know how far away he was, but I'm sure it was far enough that he rehearsed this many times. I'm going to say this to him. I'm going to say that to him. Have we ever done that? Got ready to do something? We've rehearsed it with ourselves, what we're going to say over and over again. And if he says that, I'll say this. Or if she says that, I'll say that. You can just see this poor guy going back to his father's house, wherever that might have been. You know, on the east side of the Galilee is a Gentile area, on the east side of the Galilee. That's why there were pigs over there when Yeshua went over there to kick, and kicked the evil spirits out of the demonics. The spirits were thrown into the pigs. Over there, they could raise pigs because it was Gentile on the east side of the Galilee. I don't know if that's where it was at, but wherever it was at, he had ample time to rehearse headed back to his father's house. I don't even know how he had the strength to get to his father's house, but he managed to get there. He just decided, I'm going to get there, no matter what cost, no matter how, I am going to get there. I'm going to get to my father's house. We need to approach God that way too. No matter what the circumstances are, I'm going to get to my father's house. No matter what, I'm headed for my father's house. Let no man stop me. Let no circumstance stop me. Let nothing stop me. I'm on the way to my father's house. Neither beast or weather or whatever was going to stop me from getting to my father's house. We've got to come to ourselves and understand that. And when he rose and he came to his father, verse 20, but when he was yet a good way, great way off, his father saw him. His father had no idea what his son was going to say. His father had no idea what his son has been rehearsing. All he saw was his son coming up the walkway a great ways away. His father saw him, had compassion on him without even hearing what his son had to say and ran to him and started kissing him. That had to be a shock for the son. The son running right, his father running right at you, go, oh, I'm in trouble. Oh, 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 I'm in trouble. He's going to hit me. He's going to beat me. He's going to do something. But what happens? He kisses him. He kisses him. That is an incredible story, folks. Truly incredible story. When he came to himself and he went back to his father. That's our lives. We come to ourselves, we go back to our Father. Incredible story. And so the Father fell on his neck and repeatedly kissed him in his smelly state. <laughs> the Father goes, Oh, bro, son, why don't you go to the house and get a bath? No way. The Father took him as he was and loved all over him. That's the way he does us. 
You know, I, I hear so many times people say, well, when I clean up my act, I'll go to church. You can never clean up your act. Never clean up your act. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, as Isaiah says. We smell like filthy swine. We smell like feces, and we're talking about it in the nostrils of God. Because of our unrighteousness. But in the righteousness of God, we are more than welcome to boldly come before his throne of grace and to be welcomed by him. So, the, the son is trying to get his words out. Meanwhile, the father's kissing all over him. Dad, 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 I, I need to tell you something. Dad, 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 I need to tell you something. <laughs> okay, enough, dad, I got to tell you something. The father already knew. The father already knows. Nonetheless, the son finally said, in verse 21, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no more worthy to be called your son. Wow. And while the son is trying to explain these things to him, the father wouldn't pay any attention. Wasn't paying any attention. Father, I am not worthy. Hey, servants, come over here, come over here. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. The rest of you, come over here. He's calling people around all, and not paying any attention to what his son is saying. You go get him a robe. You get him clean clothes. You get the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. And the son's like, uh, uh, I got things to tell you, Dad. He already knew his son's heart. He was so happy to see his son come up that road. Wow, that's our God. So when you wander astray somewhere and you start coming back to God, he wants to kiss you. He wants to hug on you. You got to let him do those things. Don't try to explain your way because he already knows. Just receive the kisses. <laughs> wow. The father said, send for the clothes the calf, and the shoes. So poor, poor, this poor guy didn't even have shoes on. And I've been in the land of Israel 14 times. It's rocky and thorny. I can't imagine this kid coming back with no shoes. It cannot be good for him. Wow. Really amazing. But, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. And the father began to lift the son up before all. He said, my son has come back. My son has come back. For this is my son that was dead and is alive again, he was lost, and he is found. And he began to have Mary at that point. So the heavens and the angels in heaven rejoices over one center repenting. Did you know that? The same concept. 
Why are the angels rejoicing? Because the Father is rejoicing. They love seeing their people return back to him. But there's another side of the story. Verse 25, now his elder son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called one of his servants and asked, what are these things? He said, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. And the older son was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father and instructed him. And he said unto his father, Lo, these many years I do serve you. Neither have I transgressed I at any time your commandments. Yet you never gave me a kid, a young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. The older son forgot all his benefits. He grown inappreciative. Routineness now took over his life. Sometimes we forget the benefits until we don't have them anymore. Count your blessings every day. Don't forget his benefits. That's scripture. Several places. Don't forget your benefits at any time from God. At least you become unappreciative. Or so accustomed to it that you, you almost expect it and demand of it. You know, count your blessings all the time. Psalms 103.13 says, Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. Now the elder brother now was erring because he was not rejoicing with his son. Verse 31, or verse 30, But as soon as this your son was come, which has devoured your living with harlots, you have killed for him the fatted calf. So the older son was now angry because they killed the fatted calf for his son that spent all his inheritance with harlots. But I have been with you all my life. And you rejoice when he comes back. What's the matter with you? I, you should be throwing parties for me. Please don't tell God that. <laughs> Not a good thing. Not a good thing to say. Wow. The father is patient with the older son. The younger son spent his inheritance. The verse 31, the Lord tells the older son, he said, son, you are ever with me and all that I have is yours. There's greater riches, greater honor that will belong to the older son. But don't make the mistake of being angry with somebody else gets honored. We don't want to ever do that. And the father tells him, it was meet that we should be merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. So, the Father loves to rejoice when you come back to him. But 
All the inheritance, everything the father has belongs to the oldest son. There should be no room for jealousy or anything like that. Psalms 18.20 says, The Lord rewards according to our righteousness and according to the cleanness of our hands. He has recompensed me. We gotta understand it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Hebrews ten thirty one. We should never wish the worst for anybody. I've had people tell me, he says, it ain't right. He just he just found the Lord and now he's he's acting like he gets everything I get. Wrong, he doesn't get everything you get. But we should rejoice that he just found the Lord. Why are you jealous? Why are we jealous if somebody makes a deathbed confession? We should rejoice that they made that confession. Because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God when they're seconds away from doing that. Now that people tell me that. That ain't right. No, that ain't right. But they, you say they got saved and they make a, a deathbed confession? What's it, what is it to you? It's like the father telling the older son, what is it to you? I decided to do that. I honored my son, which was lost and now found. What is it to you that you're angry that somebody found me on their last breath that they had? Because there's complete misunderstanding what's happening here. You know, when you do things for God, it is put in a book of memorials. Everything you do for God has been written down. Everything. Even Yeshua said, you give a glass of water to one of these my disciples, you in no way lose your reward. Right? Right there. Okay. James, I am now writing down, you gave a glass of water to so-and-so, you know. Oh, you have more than that, but, but that, your books of works are important. Oh, I said that terrible word, works. We are called to righteous deeds, folks, right. not dead works. Right. What are dead works? Those are works that you've devised with your own mind that you think pleases God. Amen. We are called to righteous works. I was asked that question one time, so well, how do you know the difference between righteous works and dead works? Based off the two great commandments. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and loving your neighbor as yourself. If what you do fits under those two categories, that is righteous works. Anything else you make up is not. Well, I'm going to go up these steps on my knee and bleed for the Lord. That's dead works. And stupid works. <laughs> That's really dumb works. All you're going to get out of that is bruised, bloody knees. But there are people who think that way. They want to dream up something in their own mind, what they think, oh, I'm going to do this for God. Oh, my gosh. Follow the commandments if you want to do something from God, right with God. So it's important for us to understand 
as inheritors. And you are an inheritor. Did you know God said the firstborn is his? Do you know the scripture says that? The firstborn is his. But he changed his mind on it somewhat. What did he change his mind on? After the Levites backed Moses up at Mount Sinai because of the golden calf, he said, now I will take the Levites as my firstborn. Wow. But that did not negate, negate the firstborn of a family concept. So we have to understand today that because what the scripture says, we are the, of the assembly of the firstborn. In Revelation, when it says, these are the first fruits that follow the lamb wherever he goes, that's you. That's you. If you're born again or if you, you, know, you know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, then don't leave this house before you do. And I'm sure there are plenty of people here that are more than happy to lead you to the Lord. So don't leave this house. If you don't know the Lord, come up here and stand here and look bewildered and somebody to come around and join you. <laughs> Altar calls are important. They're very important, particularly if it's leading somebody to salvation. And we all need to rejoice in it at all times, just like the younger son here. When we have slept with the pigs, God will clean us up. Give us a new robe. Give us new shoes. And kill the fatted calf. I don't know why they keep saying that, the fatted calf. I understand that they, they keep a calf fatted for special occasions, a lot of these families. The special calf for the veal or whatever. You know, they got the fatted calf. God will do whatever he has to do to reward you and honor you. When you come up that road, he'll run to meet you. He'll run to meet you. Don't turn your back on him. Well, he will run to you. Like I said earlier, you may, you may walk a few inches toward him, and he'll go a million miles to meet you. Because he can see he, there's a repentant man. There's a man that's after my own heart. There's a woman that is calling for me. And I'm going to run and I'm going to kiss all over them. You know, the Bible says kiss the son in Psalms 2. Talking about Yeshua. We need to kiss the son. We need to kiss. Least he be angry, it says. Kiss the son, least he be angry. Well, I don't want Yeshua mad at me. I'm more than happy to kiss him. So since I can't physically do it, I have to think about what do I need to do to kiss him, to love him, to be honor, honorable to him. If you love me, keep my commandments, he says. That's how you kiss the son. Amen? God bless everybody. Hallelujah.